Welcome to Sunday School for Heathens. The show where we learn about Christianity and how weird it sounds to everyone else. I'm Shannon. And I'm Brian. I'm not a priest and I do not have a degree in theology. I'm just the kind of guy who became pen pals with a nun's mom when I was a kid. I did not know that about you and I love it. Yes. Wait, the nun's mom? Yes. Uh, Sister Leonette was my principal at Catholic school when I was little and her mom liked me. My mom volunteered, and so I was, like, four. Okay. And so I became best friends with Grammy, and we wrote each other letters back and forth. That's adorable. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Um, I think the more we learn about your childhood, the more we discover how, like, adorable it was. Yeah, that was pretty cute. That was a pretty cute kid. Yeah. I mean, like, (laughs) you're pretty cute now. Uh Uh-huh. Thank you. (laughs) So, what are we talking about this week, Brian? Today, we're going to talk about angels. Angels? Yeah. This will likely not be the only episode we ever do on angels, because as I've learned, there's an entire field of study. Really? (laughs) Angelology. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I feel like we can't not talk about angels without me making a reference to the podcast Welcome to Night Vale. I don't watch it. I guess listen to it. You don't watch podcasts. You do not. Um, (laughs) There is a whole bit about angels in Welcome to Night Vale in which people do... There are a group of angels that exist in that world that people do not believe are are angels, uh, but also they're all named Erica. Huh. It's a whole bit. Sure. (laughs) So I, I feel like I had to just like get my Welcome to Night Vale like discussion out of the way early. Well... They've got a couple things right, just off the bat there. People not realizing they're angels. Sure. Denying the existence, I believe, is what they do. They deny the existence of angels, even though the angels exist. Oh, okay. That's a little different. Yeah. uh, Than not realizing that that the person or what you think is a person in front of you is, in fact, an angel. And also, naming convention. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Not exact same name, but we'll get to it. Cool. Erica. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All the angels in Night Vale are named Erica. Sure. (laughs) But where do we start with angels? Do we start with the Bible? So I had to structure this differently because there's, like I said, this is an entire field of study. So all we're going to do today is there are nine types of angels. Great. So we're going to talk about the nine kinds of angels? We're going to talk about the nine types of angels. I love it. Little beginning bit, though. The word angel comes from the Greek word angelos, meaning messenger. So angels are just messengers of God. Okay. And sometimes the word gets translated messenger. Sometimes it gets translated angel. So angels are mentioned almost 200 times in the Bible, but it depends on the translation. Like angels come down to Mary to say that Mary is going to have a child. Angels come to Moses to talk about things. Like lots of people get talked to by angels. So I guess it makes sense that they're messengers. Yeah. So the, the one that you mentioned, Mary, is a little different because it's named it's more dramatic there's a lot of stories in the bible where it's just an angel yeah like this man came up to abram and said your wife's gonna have a baby but also that person was an angel yeah wow they're a messenger from god cool (laughs) these nine categories they they range wildly from normal people delivering a message or what appear to be normal people sure all the way to multi-headed animal hybrids, which we'll get to. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> now I'm really excited. 
before that, I'm going to explain where we get this categorization. So we get it in about the 5th century, late 5th century, from Pseudo-Dionysus. And it's in his work called the Celestial Hierarchy. Okay. And is this a Christian text? It is. Okay. Yeah. So the reason we call this guy Pseudo-Dionysus is because he wrote all of his works pretending to be a guy named Dionysus, who was a follower of Paul in the first century. Okay. Was Dionysus also a real person who followed Paul? And this is just four centuries later, some guy pretending to be this guy that actually existed? Or is he pretending to be a follower of Paul who might or might not have actually existed? I believe the first century Dionysus was a real person. Okay. And we're just writing as if we're in the first century, as if we're this guy. Okay. Um, This is an interesting thought exercise that this guy in the fifth century is doing. Uh, Some people consider it a forgery, a very successful one. Sure. Because this work became very popular, especially in the Middle Ages. Sure. But did they all think it was from the first century? At the time, I think so, yeah. Oh, wow. How long until we realized that Pseudo-Dionysus was the guy? I don't know exactly. Interesting. Um, But I know that modern scholarship believes that this was not written in the first century. This was written in the late fifth century, like I said. Okay. But still, it is what a lot of people say that the angels are. Cool. Is these nine categories. Yeah. So according to this system, there are three orders of angel, and there are three types of heavenly being within each order. Okay. Three chunks of three. Exactly. The three general classifications are based on their proximity to God. Okay. So closer to God, further to God. Exactly. One in the middle. So we're going to start at the bottom of this list with the the choir of angels that is furthest from direct contact with God. Okay. And these bottom three sets all interact with humans directly. Okay. In some way. And so are you using choir as the uh, collective plural of angel? Yeah. I love that. I just wanted to call that out and clarify. Yeah, you know, it's like a murder of crows, a choir of angels. Okay, cool. <laughs> I wasn't sure if, like, we called this bottom layer a choir, or if that's just all... No, they're all they're, they're all choirs of okay. whatever they are. So the bottom one is just angels. Cool. They're just called angels. Very straightforward. Yeah. These just plain old angels are all over the Hebrew Bible. These are the ones, like I was talking about, where it's talking to Abram, the one that wrestled with Jacob... Um, lots of lots of stories all throughout of just like what appears to be just a person that has a message for you. Sure. So they're not floating down from high on their giant wings. They're just humans in the world. Exactly. And they probably don't have wings, at least in most cases, because in one of the stories in Genesis, Jacob has a dream about a staircase to heaven that angels are going up and down. And so they needed this staircase or ladder, Jacob's ladder. Oh, great. Sure. Yeah, now I know where we are. (laughs) Yeah, now you've got that reference. Cool. That's so exciting. That's a biblical reference I didn't know was a biblical reference until it became a biblical reference. There are some people that I think listen to this show just for those. Oh, yeah. (laughs) If I wasn't on this show, I would listen to this show just for those. Uh, Yeah, so people delivering messages. Great. Next up, we have archangels. Okay. Now they have names? They do. And there's possibly only one of them. Gabriel. No. No? Isn't he an archangel? Depends who you ask. Oh, he gets... We'll figure out what category he lives in later. So the only 
archangel that is mentioned as an archangel in the Bible is Michael. Okay. And some people say that he is the only archangel because he's called Michael the archangel. Great. So it might just be that, like, archangel is the, like, the, you become the, the, the boss angel. Yeah. That's what some people interpret it to mean is the highest of all the angels is the archangel. Cool. Are there also other Michaels in the Bible? Like, is one of the apostles a Michael? I don't think so. Okay. I think there are other Michaels, but I'm not sure. There's definitely a Micah. Um, yeah, I knew there was a Micah, but I wasn't sure if this was a, like, everyone has three names situation where there's, like, a Michael and also an Archangel Michael. This is one of those things that somebody's going to correct me on later, I'm sure. Great. <laughs> Megan Wines, we hear you. <laughs> so, Michael the Archangel, specifically mentioned, mentioned in Jude's epistle. Gabriel is mentioned by name as an angel, but not called an archangel. Okay. Raphael is mentioned by name in the book of Tobit. He's a big character in that he cures Tobit's blindness and goes on this journey. And he is described as being disguised and looking like a young man. Okay, so he's probably just a regular old angel. Yeah, he might have been, might, might have been a little glowy. I don't know. He's like somewhere in between an angel and an archangel. He's like a like an angel, but fancy. I mean, there's not there's not anything between. So it's sure. So he's either angel or archangel. Um, and then we have another one. Uriel is mentioned in the second book of. Esdras. Both Uriel and Raphael only appear in apocryphal books, so not in the Protestant version of the Bible. Okay. Uriel is only included in some Orthodox canons, like the Eritrean Orthodox okay. canon. So he's even less, yeah. I guess, official. Sure. Well-known. Prominent. Something. Yeah, and so, like I said, the only one actually described as an archangel is Michael, but... A lot of the time, the tradition will treat these other three as archangels. So if you're an angel with a name, Mm -hmm. then sometimes you get upgraded. And I mentioned a naming convention before. Did you notice any kind of pattern with these names? It's harder when you can't see them written. So what is it? It's Michael, Raphael, Gabriel, Gabriel, Uriel. They all end in L, E-L. They do. They all end in E-L. Like angel? Um, I guess, yeah, I guess technically Angel does, yeah, I didn't even make that connection. Okay. But, yeah, E-L is a suffix that denotes a celestial name. There we go. Is that going to come up again? No, because those are the other ones that are named. Those are the four. (laughs) Cool. We care less about specific names when they don't talk to humans. Sure. (laughs) Or when they're just, like, guys on the road. Yeah. Alright, but there's a third in this particular lower choir. Yeah, and... These are not named. They're like the the supervisors. They're called principalities. Okay. Principalities angels or just principalities? They're just called principalities. We stopped calling things angels at this point. Okay. (laughs) Fine. But they are angels collectively. Yeah. They rule over countries or large areas. They are often depicted wearing crowns or holding scepters. Okay. We're also just like generally getting progressively more glowy. Sure, they all get shinier the more the higher we go. <laughs> yeah. Harder to look at directly. It's also a lot harder to find specific descriptions of this the middle section that we're about to get into. Like starting even with this one, it's kinda hard. But and then we get we get a lot of great descriptions of the highest choir. order. 
Well, the, even the, the top three, the highest okay. order, yeah. Awesome. But, okay, so principalities and archangels and angels. So, like, yeah. if you think about this, like, a structure, like, angels report to archangels who report to principalities. That's generally the idea, yeah. Cool. They all are able to interact with humans. Okay, cool. So now we're getting to the second order, middle management, if you will. Sure. I like that we've turned this into a government. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, principalities. <laughs> sure. I guess that's true. <laughs> this has become a, a international conglomerate real fast. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so what are our three in middle management? Okay, so the first group, the lowest group that we have in this is they're sometimes called powers, sometimes called authorities. Okay. The powers that be? I guess. I, I don't know that that's... The right, where that is. Maybe? Ah, intriguing. Um, but Paul mentions these types of angels in his letter to the Colossians. Uh, he says, For in him, meaning God, For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. So people, a lot of people believe that when he says thrones, dominions, rulers, powers, he's listing off four of the nine types of angels. Interesting. So are those going to come up again in a second? We'll, we'll keep going. The, the other ones will come up. All right. So powers. Yeah. These, <laughs> these angels, I, I like this order a lot, or this uh, choir of angels. They're very no-nonsense. Their job is to ensure that all the cosmos is in order. <laughs> That is very particular. <laughs> and they're described as the most loyal of all the angels. And they are generally depicted as soldiers because they're also the ones who fight demons. Awesome. <laughs> Quality. Yeah. Quality stuff. Next are virtues. Okay. And they might be the, the rulers in Paul's list. It was just a different translation. Okay. So rulers, virtues. They take their, their orders from the next higher up ones that we'll mention. Okay. And they can intervene in the world and answer prayers, but they don't interact directly with humans. Okay. I don't know what they're supposed to look like. I couldn't find any descriptions of what virtues look like. All right. But, you know, maybe maybe they have wings. Who knows? They're, I just assume they're all kind of shiny. Yeah. They're getting more <laughs> glowy. Yeah. When in doubt, they're just more and more glowing. Sure. <laughs> All right, so if powers are soldiers but glowy, yeah, then I don't know, I don't know what virtues would be, but glowy for yeah. sure, even even glowier. And I don't know, maybe maybe they have wings, maybe not. Sure. Next is the dominions. Okay. So they're also mentioned directly in that passage from Paul. Yep. And they're in charge of everything below them. Cool. And these ones are said to look like attractive humans with feathered wings. All right. So now this is the first time they are, that wings are explicitly mentioned. Yeah, but that's not biblical. That's sure. tradition. And I'm not... I tried to find where that came from, and I couldn't find it exactly. Interesting. So that's the middle, the middle order. Okay. And they're kind of on Earth, but just overseeing. Okay. So they're, like, looking down on Earth and, like, handling stuff if it needs handled, but they're not as boots on the ground as the lower order. Right. And they're not concerned with any individual people. They're concerned with, like, creation as a whole. Okay. That makes sense. But now there's still this upper order. There is. And we 
We have a lot more detail about these. Great. (laughs) So this highest grouping is put together because they are physically near God. So they absorb some of God's awesomeness and wisdom. Ooh. The lowest type out of this order is thrones. Okay. Which is also mentioned in Paul's letter. Correct. This is the highest one that Paul mentions. All right. They're called that because they literally hold up the throne of God. Ooh, so are there just four of them? Or is there like a bunch of them holding up the throne? It, so, it, again, depends who you ask. (laughs) Great. So they, they're described in Ezekiel. He says, As I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. As for the appearance of the wheels and their construction, their appearance was like the gleaming of beryl. And the four of them had the same form, their construction being something like a wheel within a wheel. When they moved, they moved in any of the four directions without veering as they moved. Their rims were tall and awesome, for the rims of all four were full of eyes all around. So what you're saying is that these angels are just wheels with eyes? Correct. What? (laughs) They're wheels within wheels. Wheels within wheels within eyes. So like, think of like, so you have a wheel. Okay. And then rotate... A wheel 90 degrees so that it's if you're looking down on it it's like a plus sign okay and so that allows it to roll whichever way <laughs> so it's but a, also covered in eyes it's an orb but like a like a cage well no it's not it's not a full orb it's just two wheels two wheels <laughs> crossed perpendicular covered in eyes yes are the eyes on the outside so like they're always looking or are the eyes on the edges so like they hit the ground up to interpretation. Great. Or both. <laughs> so many eyes. Yeah, lots of eyes. <laughs> Great quality. Some people do not consider these wheels to be separate sentient beings because they're described as being controlled by the next order that we'll talk about. Okay. Those people look to a passage from Revelation instead for what thrones are. All right. I always love it when a good revelation passage makes it into the show. It's this one is honestly less weird than historically than what um what Ezekiel says. Than what Ezekiel says, yes. Oh wow. Well, I mean it's a low bar. It is. <laughs> what do we got? What is John? It's John, right? A yeah. John wrote revelation? Yeah. A John wrote revelation. Sure. <laughs> I wasn't going to say which one cuz I know I'd get it wrong. <laughs> I think it's Padmos. I don't remember. Just, what's the quote? (laughs) (laughs) The quote is, At once I was in the spirit, and there in heaven stood a throne, with one seated on the throne. And the one seated there looks like Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne is a rainbow that looks like an emerald. Around the throne are 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones are 24 elders, dressed in white robes with golden crowns on their heads. So some people believe that the thrones are just these elders sitting in thrones. Oh, I thought the thrones were going to be the rainbow. No, sorry. That would have been cooler. Like I said, much less weird. Very less weird. Just 24 identical beings in white robes sitting on chairs. Yeah, I mean, we don't know that they're identical. They're just elders in white robes. Cool. With golden crowns. Golden crowns. No wings, though. Not described as such. Sure. They're either wheels or they're guys in robes. Yeah. Though, side note, angels are genderless. Great. We'll switch to they pronouns for all, all <laughs> subsequent angels. I'm probably going to keep saying, especially for the, the lower bars of angels, they 
most often appear in the form of young men. Sure. So a lot of the time I'll just say he, that's a choice I've made, but now you're all aware angels are genderless. Great. Got it. (laughs) So thrones are just a bunch of beings in white robes sitting in chairs or they're four wheels covered in eyes. Yes, which is what I like to think. I also am team wheels covered in eyes. Next, we have cherubim. Okay, little tiny flying babies. <laughs> I was hoping you would say that. I am hoping that you're going to prove me wrong. <laughs> they are not. Oh, man. <laughs> where did the little tiny flying babies come in? So the little t- tiny flying babies are actually called Pudo. Okay. They are chubby winged babies, part of Greco-Roman art. And they died out and... Well, they didn't, the creatures themselves didn't, but in their appearance in art died out and reappeared in the Renaissance. And it was connected with Christian imagery at that point. Sure. So they're a Renaissance construction. Pretty much. And they often get used to depict Jesus. Okay. But yeah, cherubs, as you think they are, are Pudo. Okay. So what are actual cherubs or cherubim? Is cherubim the plural? Is that what that is? Yeah, it's, I mean, you can also call them cherubs. Cherubim is the plural form in Latin. Yeah, I was going to say my Latin or ancient Greek or whatever are not quite as strong as they could be. Yeah. And by Uh, that I mean strong at all. Again, we discussed this at the beginning of every episode. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so tell me about cherubim. Pseudo-Dionysus and Pope Gregory say that cherubim means fullness of knowledge. Other people say that... Cherubim comes from an Assyrian word meaning to be near. Because they're near God? Yeah. Oh boy. So, makes sense. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they could be, they're near God, so they could be absorbing the knowledge of God. Either is a reasonable thing to think. Great. The first mention of a cherub in the Bible is guarding the Garden of Eden. Okay. Like keeping them from going out? Keeping them from coming back in after they were banished. Ah. Do you remember Flaming Sword Guy? Yeah. Flaming Sword Guy was a cherub. Okay, but does Flaming Sword Guy tall and have wings? Flaming Sword Guy has wings. Okay. (laughs) Now we're going to get more detail from the book of the prophet Ezekiel. Oh, good. (laughs) That means it's going to get weird. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) This was their appearance. They were of human form. Each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot and they sparkled like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. And the four had their face and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each of them moved straight ahead without turning as they moved. As for the appearance of the faces, the four had the face of a human being, the face of a lion on the right side, the face of an ox on the left side, and the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. Their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings each of which touched the wing of another, while two covered their bodies. It's a lot of wings. Four wings, yeah. So they've four got... wings on each side, or four wings total? No, four wings total. So they've got four arms. Great. Um, and they've got two wings that are above them. And then they're doing a little, like, modesty pose, where their bodies are covered in... The other two. The okay. other two. So it's like uh, more like <laughs> butterfly wings, than you would think, than like angel wings, where they're sort of like a top half and a bottom half. Only the bottom half are conveniently wrapped around them chastely. 
No, it's not like butterfly wings because it's four in. They've got four arms and four shoulders, and the wing is each wing is coming out of a shoulder. So it's four separate wings. Okay. So like, if you've got four heads, one, two, three, four. Yeah. And then like, are the shoulders like an X, like the wheels within wheels? Then I don't think so. I think it's four heads facing four different ways. Sure. And then below that neck, and then shoulders, two on each side. But like squared off this way or like squared off this way? And if so, where do the second shoulders go? Again, up for interpretation. Okay. <laughs> In my mind, it's like a box. I Maybe. I don't know. But yeah, so that's, that is what Ezekiel describes them as. Later, he describes them as having only two faces, a human and a lion face. Okay. So maybe four, maybe two. Multiple right. faces. All right, Ezekiel, you uh, got some splaining to do. Or maybe less splaining to do. <laughs> oh, also, they're covered in eyes. Why are they all <laughs> covered in eyes? <laughs> Why? It's kind of freaky. Maybe the point? I don't know. I mean, like, also, like, what is your definition of covered? Like, how many eyes are we talking about? Many. As I've said, Brian, I need more detail. But also, I'm kind of terrified and I need less detail. I mean, if anyone wants more detail, there is some excellent art. Oh my god, I don't know if I want that. <laughs> I don't know if I want that. Because I had to, I had to look up thrones. I was very curious about the wheels. Sure. <laughs> I'm glad that you were able to describe them to me. Okay, are there other weird descriptions of cherubim that are not just... Four-sided, four-winged, four-shouldered beings. There's some creatures that are mentioned in Revelation. Some people consider those to be cherubim because they're described as looking like animals. And that sure. is connected to the, the animal faces. But I count them with the highest group ah. of angels because of the number of wings. Oh, okay. So there's a wing number specificity here. Yeah, I'm classifying on number of wings. Other people classify on animal shape. Okay. So does that mean it's time to move on to the highest order of angels? One more note. Pseudo-Dionysus would like you to know that they are very wise. Great. <laughs> Thank you, Pseudo-Dionysus. <laughs> but they also wield a flaming sword at least once? At least once, yeah. Great. So, All right. So what's next? At the top, we've got seraphim. Okay. That's means, a word I've heard before. Yeah. So usually you'll hear it together, seraphim and cherubim. Sure. Together. Some people think that the devil was one of these two types. Right, I was going to ask at some point where the, like, Paradise Lost version of angels and demons comes into play here. That's got to be another episode, because the, just list, just giving you these nine types is a whole episode. That's fair. <laughs> oh my god, if we really, really wanted to go crazy, we would do Paradise Lost Book Club. Uh, no. Great. <laughs> cool. <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> No one wants that. No. So we've got seraphim. Sure. Meaning the burning one. Ooh. Yes. Does that mean that there's only one of them? No. I mean, there's there's a choir of them. All right. Okay. So what do seraphim do and or look like and or what? So they're described in the book of the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty. And the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
So that's one description of them. Okay. Not quite as detailed, but six wings. Sure. Very specific. Yeah. And they're also described in Revelation. Okay. Around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. Oh my god, why are there so (laughs) many eyes? (laughs) The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of like a human face, and the fourth living creature like a flying eagle. So it's like if you took the four-sided creature from the cherubim and like splice, unspliced them. Yeah. And so that's why people, some people think that these four creatures are cherubim. Okay. And not seraphim? Yeah. Oh, right, because the animal faces. Yeah. And then it goes on. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and inside. Day and night, without ceasing, they sing, Holy, 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 the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Terrifying. So they're always singing. Um, And they're full of eyes. And they're full of eyes. Why are they full of eyes? To better see you with, my dear. (laughs) (laughs) That was the perfect response, and I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Um, That's terrifying. Yeah. I kind of like the idea that, like, the cherubim is the, like, four-sided creature, and when you, like... Pokemon style evolve into a seraphim, you like break off the four and they all become their own creatures. I mean, that's not how that works. They're different. They're different things. You can't, they don't evolve. They don't change. They, they were created as they were. They didn't grow. They just sure. are. Okay. Well, then I like the idea that cherubim are a step along the way to seraphim in that it's like a combination of all of them, but like not quite as fully formed. Sure. And then the like full expression is the seraphim. Yeah. But yeah, so. You know, just being near God kind of makes you weird, I guess. Makes you full of eyes. Full of eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Terrifying. I don't ever want to get that near actual God then. Only the amount of eyes I have. Also, Pseudo-Dionysus would like to add that they're constantly in motion and glowing. Okay, so they're constantly talking, constantly in motion, glowing, and covered in eyes? Yes. This is nightmare fuel. The glowing is part of the, the, the burning one thing. Sure. And they're, they're just, like, on fire with their love of God. Now, when we say constantly in motion, like, are they swaying side to side? Are they rocking back and forth? Are they spinning in terrifying circles? I think like, they're probably... Are they one of those guys who just, like, have a little leg jitter that just never stops? I think they're, like, buzzing around. Oof. So they're small. I mean, you can buzz around and be big. I suppose you'll just run into more things. I, I mean, they're very wise. <laughs> I thought cherubim were really wise. Those, those are those are also those are the ones that are specifically wise. But they're so close to God, they can't help but be wise. Sure. And also, how can anything get past them? They have so many eyes. Exactly. <laughs> oh my god! But I just imagine that, like, if someone is having an audience with God, they're like, God's on this dais in this chair, being held up by these wheels covered in eyes, and like guarding the door of these four-sided cherubim with their eyes and their flaming swords. And you're, like, standing there like a regular-sized person. And there's also four other regular-sized beings, but with animal faces and six wings flying around constantly. I could imagine it would be very distracting. Probably. I mean, assuming uh, an eternal afterlife, I guess you'd get used to it. I suppose. I also, I guess that if you are, like, omnipotent 
in the way that God is that you probably get used to there being multiple things happening at once. Oh, you were saying God would get distracted. Oh, no, I would get distracted as, like, the person in the audience, but I also think God probably is not distracted because they're also omnipotent and, like, that there's just always a gazillion things happening at once. Yeah. (laughs) Inside the, like, brain or consciousness or whatever of the God. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah. (laughs) This just makes me think that, like, mythical heaven is a really stressful place and not quite as exciting or calm or peaceful or wonderful as people make it out to be. (laughs) If it's full of eye-covered monsters Um, and constantly flitting seraphim. And constant singing. Lots of singing. Yeah. I mean, they're choirs. Just always. Yeah. Yeah. That makes me feel like it would be really stressful. I mean, you don't always have to be, like, right next to God. But, I mean, everything also says, like, you will be down with all of this. Cool. (laughs) If you're there. (laughs) But, like, what if you have a sensory processing disorder? Then you might not be down with this. I think that might be related to the body. So you might, I don't know. I guess if you lose your body when you go to heaven. Yeah, okay, that might offset some stuff. I don't know. There's a lot of... There's a lot of theology here that I don't know enough specifics about. <laughs> I haven't taken a deep dive into what is heaven physically like. I know. Little did you know, based on the conversation we had during the last episode about what is heaven being too big a conversation to have walking across a parking lot, uh, that we are now having a conversation about what is heaven right now on the podcast. Yeah. So I'm one of those people, I didn't realize this was uh, kind of a common thing, that the concept of like an eternal afterlife freaked me out as a kid. Interesting. Um, just because, like, what do you do with all that time? What if you don't? What if you get bored? <laughs> See, and that was never my problem. I was like, oh man, so many things. <laughs> I just am concerned about the sounds and the constantly floating things and things covered in eyes. So many eyes. So many eyes. <laughs> Uh, if we did, like, jokey titles for these shows, which we don't, this one would just be called Angels. So many eyes! <laughs> <laughs> it would not be wrong. It's true. But, like I said, there are plenty more things to talk about with angels, including guardian angels in particular. Oh, we yeah. Didn't we didn't get into we that. We didn't even get to guardian angels. That's got an interesting history throughout time. How people consider people who've died to be angels... That's also a a topic that we could get into. Oh, man. Um, Fallen angels. There's lots of things. Look out for more episodes on angels someday. Yeah, we will definitely revisit. But like I said, this was enough for one. Oh, yeah. This is (laughs) totally a full episode worth. Uh, And on that note, let's take a break and then we'll come back for some fun. Sounds good. And we're back. And now it's time for the Patronage Pop Quiz, where I tell Shannon about a saint, and she has to guess what they're the patron of. All right, who are we talking about this week, Brian? So this is one of those where not technically a saint, but she is blessed. Cool. Blessed whom? This is Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich. Okay. She was born September 8th, 1774, in Westphalia, Germany. Okay. She was born to poor but very pious peasants, and... She inherited her parents' piety and then some. Oh boy. (laughs) She received visions and prophecies from a very early age, and they were so normal for her that she assumed that all children could see the child Jesus and the souls in purgatory. Oh my god. Not true. (laughs) It's adorable and and very precocious. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) She was also able to diagnose illnesses, 
recommend cures for them, and see a person's sins. Ooh, scary. I don't know if that means she could tell what the sin was or if she just saw, like, black marks or something. Still, whatever it is, she wouldn't want to look at me. (laughs) Or me either. Uh, Still haven't been to confession, if anyone is keeping track of that that story. (laughs) Brian, confession tracker. Yeah, I now have an examination of conscience. Uh, Oh yeah, you were talking about getting that. Yeah, so I have that. I just need to schedule one. There we go. Uh, off topic, but... <laughs> anyway, now, in the side, other than seeing people's sins... Yeah. Unfortunately, she couldn't do much about her own illness. She suffered from poor health for much of her childhood. Even so, she was expected to work on her family's farm and on other area farms. She mostly worked as a seamstress, and for a while she worked as a servant to a poor organist. While there, she learned to play the organ. Okay. She entered an Augustinian convent in 1802. She continued to have poor health, but she was much more known for her enthusiasm for religious life. Some of her fellow sisters found this fervor energizing. Others were annoyed. (laughs) Sure, sure. I'm starting to get a sense of her personality. (laughs) She would often go into religious ecstasies in the church, in her cell, or while working. Unfortunately, her convent was closed by the government in 1812. Oh no. Around this time, her health also took a turn for the worse, so she became bedridden. Her visions and prophecies increased, and later that year, she received the stigmata wounds on her hands and feet. Oh no, that's terrifying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. She also received a crown of thorns, crosses on her chest, and the gift of inedia, meaning she no longer had to eat anything except communion to survive. Oh my god, all of this is terrifying, and I don't like any of it. (laughs) And Eddie, it doesn't always mean that you need communion. It's just you don't have to eat like a normal person does. Okay. She was living entirely off communion, though. Yeah. She actually tried to hide her stigmata wounds, but word got out, and the vicar general instituted a detailed and kind of abusive investigation. Like, weirdly prodding. Yeah. And by the end of it, they determined that the stigmata was genuine. In 1818... Five years after receiving it, she was relieved of the stigmata, finally. Great. In 1819, the government decided to open its own investigation into her wounds. Oh, great. She was imprisoned, threatened, and kept under 24-hour surveillance. And they were unable to find any evidence either way. And Anne wouldn't change her story, so they eventually gave up without publishing a report. Okay. But they were eventually forced to report, and they declared her a fraud without any explanation. Her cause for canonization was introduced in 1892, but it was put on hold because people claimed that she had violated her vow of chastity. Okay. Those accusations were proven false, but her cause was not taken up again until 1973. Wow. Which is why she is still blessed. There you go. So, Shannon, what is Anne Catherine Emmerich the patron of? Is she the patron saint of organists? She is not. Ooh. Okay, then let's see here. She's probably not the patron saint of having the stigmata? She is not. But she she was a stigmatist. Yes. Uh, Is she (laughs) the patron saint of bedridden people? Disabled people. Great. Okay. She is the patron of just disabled people. Okay. It's a short (laughs) list. Yep. 
Well, hopefully she'll get fully canonized and then she can acquire a further list of things. Yeah, very interesting story. So it, it would be it'd be cool to see that cause get yeah promoted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like there are very few like confirmed historical stigmatists. Is that the word official word? Yeah, I don't know if it's stigmatist or stigmatist. I don't know sure. which is the which the... vowel you vowel. Yeah, which is pretty interesting. And I wish she had more things because that makes this game more fun. It's true. It does usually make it more fun when she has more things, but I'm glad that you got to tell me all about her. And thank you all so much for listening this week. If you want to check us out on Facebook or Twitter, we're at school number four heathens. You can send us an email to sundayschoolforheathens at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, go on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts and write a review, even if it's just like, these guys are great. The more of you physically write things in addition to just leaving your five-star ratings, the more people are going to be able to find the show. So we would really appreciate if you would do that. Thank you so much to David Griffin for editing this episode and for his awesome logo. Thank you to Adam Griffin for his music. And a shout out to Matthew Griffin, the youngest Griffin brother, who we don't talk enough about on the show, for getting published in a religious journal, magazine? I think I think it's journal. In a religious journal um, on his work talking about the intersection of comic books and religious imagery. Uh, we will post that link uh, on our Twitter and on our Facebook but go check it out. It's a really cool situation. Also hilarious that Matt is the one we talk about the least when he's the one who has the most to do with religion. It's true. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you all so much. And amen. Amen. Go in peace to like and share the pod. (laughs) 